the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferentz Toth. In an era of chaos, confusion, and craziness, Ferentz is a voice for common sense. As a financial literacy educator, speaker, and entrepreneur, Ferentz cuts through the noise to help us understand how current events affect our money, economy, and our freedom. Now, here's Ferentz Toth. Welcome to the Your Personal Bank Show. Anyone who's been paying attention, I do not believe that it's a surprise. The corruption that is with our federal government, the level of corruption is what is breathtaking. I think even some of the most cynical people are finding that the, the level of corruption, like I said, is so breathtaking with some of the information that's come out. It's just, it's really, it's sad. It's sad to see the state of our country and particularly the leadership. You know, leadership matters, folks. Our country, I believe, is headed in the wrong direction. Most Americans agree with that. And a big part of that reason, of course, is the leadership that we have, level of corruption that we have that, again, I I can't think of another word other than breathtaking. You have these whistleblowers, and then the IRS turns around and removes the entire investigative team in the Hunter Biden probe, the whistleblower, of course, is claiming retaliation. And I don't see how it's anything but retaliation of a whistleblower. There is so much documented information with the Hunter Biden laptop and the tax fraud and the, the corruption, the scandals, the FBI and everything else that's out there. The suspicious activity reports, the, all these things we've discussed on this show. And you've heard if you're paying even a tiny bit of attention, you've seen many of these things. And it's just incredibly sad that our country is being led down this path. Why does it matter? I share this this concept, this idea on the show all the time, and that is that economic freedom is freedom. It's, it's one of the freedoms that's key to our for the freedoms that we enjoy as citizens. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which was in the original you know, Declaration of Independence, that's the very first founding document of this country. That very phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the portion, the pursuit of happiness, was I've discussed this many times on the show, was argued about among the founders and the writers of the Declaration the most. One of the, thing, the phrases that they argued and discussed the most because they were trying to define and put into words a vision right? A vision for this country and the freedoms that they wanted to provide for the citizens of the country and and the generations thereafter. Us, we're the descendants of that. We're the beneficiaries of this. And one of the phrases that was proposed was life, liberty, and the ownership of property. The founders and the writers of the Declaration understood that freedom, without economic freedom, we would be nothing but little more than serfs. And that's the economic reality. You have to have some economic freedom to be able to determine your destiny, determine your destiny in this future. So that's why I get so frustrated and so disappointed and disillusioned sometimes about the corruption that we see 
and the direction that this country is going. The leadership is trying to to yank this country down this path. Now, the encouraging part, I'm not totally discouraged. I'm frustrated, no, no question. There's no secret about that. Many people are. This country is still worth fighting for. I'm not saying we should give up. By any means, if anything, the the level of corruption that, like I said before, is so breathtaking. It's gotten to the point where, you know, since COVID, I've said this often, too, that uh, nothing would surprise me. You know, I used to say, well, that'll never happen or this will never happen. Well, you know, when the government went to shut down small businesses, you know, I felt like they overstepped their bounds in a tremendous way. Uh, They had no legal right to do to do that. And we've learned since, of course, it was really just an effort to politicians and bureaucrats in particular to grab more power. Jefferson and many of the founders also discussed this this concept extensively that governments inherently always try to grab more power. And I saw a statistic very recently that our federal government has grown by 40% since COVID. Folks, that's an astounding number, uh, increase in size and scope, and of course, power. That has to be curtailed in these these debt ceiling discussions. You know, that's a fast-moving target. You know, when you listen to this show, because it is broadcast nationally and stations throughout the country and at different times, you know, we might have a debt ceiling agreement by the time you listen to this, or if you're listening on our website, yourpersonalbank.com. You know, that's been in the news and lots of discussion about the debt ceiling talks because the power of the federal government has to be curtailed because the more power they get, the less freedoms we have as citizens. And that includes economic freedom. And I'm going to focus on a lot of those things today. And and I think the other thing that I really want to focus on today, and I think the biggest thing I, I believe I really want to focus on today is idea I'm seeing as I'm talking to, to folks, uh, to people, to clients, to prospects, listeners of this show. I'm getting a lot of people that are, you know, still feeling or, or, or thinking that maybe the worst is over. And, and I, what I want you to understand is that may be true. That's possibly true, but I believe it's highly unlikely. And I'm going to bring the, do- the documents and the information and the, the receipts, if you will, to share with you why I think any clear-eyed person who really understands the macroeconomic trends, the things that are really going on, you know, with your investments, with your portfolio, with your retirement, with whatever you're investing in, your assets, you really, really need to proceed with caution. And I'm gonna, and I'm not saying this to scare anyone. I'm saying this so you can go into this economic future that we're going through here with your eyes opened, with a clearer understanding and not just listen to uh, people with agendas, if you will, or political agendas or whatever that may be, media agendas, whatever. I, I, my, my goal here really is to, to give you some facts so that you can come to a clearer understanding of what likely is going to happen so you can make better decisions. One of those things, one of those reasons why I'm really, really concerned about the future uh, in the near term in particular. And I'm talking about 20, the rest of 2023 and even into 2024. There's, a, there's this idea that's got, gotten hold of a lot of people that were either going to have a soft landing or maybe even no recession at all. You hear this term soft landing versus hard landing. It's really, are we going to have a recession or not? And Piper Sandler, they're an invest large investment bank, one of the largest, and they put out an interesting paper recently where they looked into the history of of what they call the precursors to economic recessions. And what they determined was there were three criteria that needed to be in place to either have a soft or a hard landing. And I'm going to share with you what those three criteria are. 
First of all, for a, a soft landing, uh, a slight or no recessionary type situation, you have to have low inflation. You have to have modest Federal Reserve hikes, modest interest rate hikes, and you have to have easing bank lending. In other words, uh, banks lending, you know, l- easing their lending standards. Now, folks, obviously a hard landing or reception, uh, recession, the precursors, three things, the opposite occurs. Inflate, you have an inflation problem. Check. We definitely have. And what they mean by inflation problem is inflation higher over than 5%. We had 9% inflation in June, according to the CPI of June of 2022, for example. So we certainly, and the inflation is still much, much higher than the target rate of 2%, the Federal Reserve states. Rapid federal rate hikes typically leads to hard landing recession. Folks, in the past year, the Federal Reserve has increased interest rates at a faster rate, at a faster clip than at any time in their history, in their 100-year history. Give you an idea, a little over a year ago, the federal funds rate, this was the rate that the banks loaned money to each other, was at 0.25%, a quarter of a percent. Today, the federal funds rate is five and a quarter percent. Folks, that's over a 20-fold increase. Granted, in the 1970s, the federal funds rate went up to 20% for a time with Paul Volcker to kill inflation during that cycle. That was higher rate than where we're at now. But the increase, the percentage of increase, that they did not have a 20-fold increase in a year. That did not happen. So the rate of increase was faster. And the third one is, tight, is bank lending. Banks are tightening lending standards across the board. It is harder to get a loan today than it was a year ago even. You have to have higher credit scores. You have to have more collateral. All these things have been put in, are getting put in place and all of these things, inflation problem, rapid federal, uh, federal Reserve hikes, and tight, tightening lending standards, all are precursors to hard landings or recessions. So according to Piper Sandler's research, it's very clear, it's extra, extraordinarily clear that we are far more likely to be headed to a recession or a hard landing versus a soft landing. What can you do? Diversify. Protect your downside. Proceed with caution. Reduce your market risk. That's one of the best things you can do. And your personal bank can do that, can provide guaranteed growth, reduce your your taxes, create liquidity, all those kinds of things. So I'm going to encourage you to contact me if you want more information on this and learn how you can protect yourself from a likely hard landing or a likely recession that's still ahead of us and we haven't has not happened yet, but is rapidly approaching. I'm going to share with you some other reasons that I think you'll find very strong evidence why we're far more likely to have a hard landing or a recession than we are a soft landing in the near future. So stay tuned. Don't miss this. Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Our economy has changed. I'm Ferentz, host of the Your Personal Bank Show. Assets that thrived in the past decade with low interest rates likely will struggle with higher interest rates. Your Personal Bank dividends are insured, tax-free, and likely to increase for several years due to higher interest rates. 
For more info, tune in to the Your Personal Bank Show or contact Ferrets at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferrets Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferrets at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferrets Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ference, and today I'm sharing many of the reasons why I believe, and it's not just what I believe, but I'm sharing the economic indicators of why we're far more likely to be, we're leading into a recession or a hard landing rather than a soft landing. And why I think this is so important is I am, I'm recently, I'm talking to so many different people who are, I guess, buying into the idea that we will not have a hard landing. We're going to have a soft landing. You know, they're, they're saying things like the stock market's doing well and real estate prices haven't dropped too much and jobs, the jobs market has been strong, stayed relatively strong and, and they're buying into this idea. But there are so many that goes, that flies into the face of so many economic indicators that have in pre- every previous economic cycle or nearly every previous economic cycle have predicted recessions. It just flies in the face of all that. And I think a lot of people are missing. They're missing. the, the Folks, the red light is blinking on your car. The car, you know, the red engine light is blinking. It is going off. And it feels like, it seems like most people, many people, at least I talk to, are ignoring the warning signs. And I shared some of them. And I'm not saying this to scare people. I'm saying this to educate you. So, that you can go into this with your eyes open and have some facts and then make your own decisions, of course. But you can react with more accuracy if you've got, if you've got the information, if you've got the facts, okay? And that's really what it boils down to. And like I said, in the last segment I was ta- discussing where Piper Sandler, large investment bank, shared the precursors to economic recessions. And they said for a soft landing, you have to have low inflation, modest Federal Reserve rate hikes, and easing bank lending. We have none of those. Hard landings, typically, you have an inflation problem. Check. You have rapid interest rate increases through the Federal Reserve. Check. You have tightening bank lending standards. Check. In other words, we have all the criteria for a hard landing or a recession, according to Piper Sandler. But let me give you some other reasons. The Federal Reserve has raised interest rates, had, has, ha, have had a period of rising interest rates 13 times. And out of those 13 times, 10 of those resulted into a recession or a hard landing. Just the statistics, just the basic statistics are that 10 of the 13 times that the Federal Reserve has raised rates, we've had a recession. Clearly, the odds are in favor of a recession versus a soft landing, okay, just based on history. That one's pretty straightforward. But let me give you another one that's even more uh, more damning, if you will, and that is the index of leading economic indicators, folks. These are the th- these are the indicators that tend to forecast economic conditions, either good or bad. The index of leading economic indicators has dropped for the thirteenth month in a row. Now that happens to be the longest streak and the steepest decline of those leading economic indicators since the Great Recession. 2008 and 9. Index of leading and economic indicators. So this is by definition 
things that are leading, that are, are precursors, that are indicators, as you just in, like in the name, that are telling you, flashing a bright warning red light. Hey, there's a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem. Again, like your check engine light on your car. You can keep driving your car, and it may be okay for a while. But eventually, in most cases, if you ignore that light long enough, that blinking engine light on your car long enough, you're going to end up with bigger problems that are going to cost more to repair, aren't they? Ignore these warning signs at your peril. Proceed with caution. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm tr- wanting to give you the facts. That's what, it, that's, it's what it boils down to, okay? Now, let me give you another one. This one is actually far more... That, by the way, the Index of Leading Economic Indicators, I've hardly heard anybody discuss this. So this is one of those things where you just have to, you know, you got to do some digging, got to do some research and, and, and know or, or listen to the show, I guess, is one of those sources. But let me give you another one. The inverted yield curve. This is one that's far more known. I've heard, I've seen and heard much more, uh, far more people discuss this. Educated uh, financial folks, economists and such. Most individuals, the average individuals, when you say, have you heard of the inverted yield curve? They've heard of it. But very few of them, I find, really understand it or what it means. The inverted yield curve, is actually, it's not that complicated. All it means is the long-term interest rates are less than the short-term rates. Most often, a lot of people talk about the two-year bond and the 10-year bond. And typically, in most cases, the longer-term bond gives you, if you invest in those, uh, give you a higher interest rate. Because you're investing your money for a longer period of time, you're therefore putting your money more at risk for a longer period. So to put your money at risk for that longer period, you're taking on more risk. That's why you're getting paid more return or a higher interest rate. It's a great analogy, as most people understand, if you buy a one-year CD at a bank, most people are familiar with this, versus, say, a five-year CD, the five-year CD typically pays a higher interest rate. Because, again, you're locking your money up for a longer period of time and you're subjecting your money, you know, locking it in for a longer period, you should get rewarded for that longer period of time with a higher interest rate, right? Well, bonds, in, in essence, work the same way. Longer time frame, higher interest rate. That's how it works most of the time. The inverted curve rarely happens, and it's the opposite. The longer term, the 10-year rates have been less, paying less than, say, the two-year rates for quite some time. And that's called an inverted yield curve. Now, why is that so important? Well, the reason it's it's happening is bond investors are expecting a decline in the longer-term interest rates. They expect interest rates down the road to be lower than they are now, which happens to be a very, very reliable indicator of recessions. Uh, I believe, and don't quote me on this, I've done this research a while back, and I've shared on this show previously, but there's been inverted yield curves a dozen or so times since, I believe, the 1960s. It's like 10 to 15 times, roughly. And out of those number of times that there, the inverted yield curve has occurred, I believe nearly every single time, maybe with one exception, it has been a reliable predictor of a recession. Typically, the recession occurs 6 to 18 months after the, yield, the inversion happens in the yield curve. And folks, right now we're just over a little over a year into this inverted yield curve. The bond market has been predicting, if you will, showing an indication of a recession. They believe a recession is going to occur for the past year, roughly a year. 
and they've been reliably accurate on that nearly every single time. And they've and their their accuracy time frame has been like I said a six to eighteen month time frame. They're a little we're a little over a year into that. In other words, the odds are quite high, likely that we're going to be entering into a recession if we're not already. In fact, very likely. And uh, why I say that is. By the time in a, a recession, which is uh, defined typically defined as two two uh, quarters of negative GDP growth, by the time it's officially announced, oftentimes it's already over, or it's happened and it's we're well into it and it's abundantly obvious. Okay, in other words, we go into recessions typically months prior to to it being officially announced. Okay, that's what I'm trying to say. And the thing why it's so important to understand or listen to the bond market versus, say, the stock market, it, it's often called, the bond market is often called the smart money or the institutional money. That's where the big money is. The bond market is far, far bigger than the stock market. A lot of average individual investors do not realize that. Hedge funds and institutional investors and banks and insurance companies and things like that, pension funds, invest in the bond market often. Okay, and they're dealing oftentimes with billions of dollars. Okay, and bond investors tend to look at cash flow sheets, uh, you know, financial returns when they invest in bonds. They really analyze the financials. Okay, it's professional investing. The stock market, as we all know, can go as Wall Street often says, is motivated motivated by fear and greed. Uh, Far often motivated by much more by um, emotions rather than um, economic facts on the ground, okay? If you were going to listen to one of the markets, either the stock market or the bond market, in the vast majority of cases, you'd be far better off listening to the bond market, okay? That's, again, Wall Street calls it the smart money for a reason. I, I guess I can share, share with you, sometimes the, the stock market is known as the, the emotional or dumb money, okay? <laughs> just so you know. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you what Wall Street says. These things are important to know who to what to listen to, what indicators are really important that you sh- what you should be paying attention to rather than the hype out there. Again, this none of these are guarantees that we're going to be going into a recession, but each one of these indicators are red flags that are giving us a strong indication that a recession is likely, and when you start adding them up, one po- stacking one on top of the other as I'm sharing with you today on this show, it creates a case that's almost undeniable. It, it really creates a case where you start to realize that if we don't go into a recession, that'll be a surprise or a shock even. It, it'd be shocking if we didn't go into recession is what I'm trying to say based on all this information. So again, as I say all the time, your personal bank is a way to diversify, reduce market risk, Guarantee some returns. Reduce your, reduce your, um, your, you know, get not only market risk but your taxes and all of that. Create liquidity and have access to money when things do improve. Because here's the thing: I'm not negative permanently. I'm negative in the shorter term. I'm talking about the next year or two. Things will get better down the road. I believe they always tend to do so. But how do you weather the economic storm in the meantime? Stay tuned. I've got a few more things to share on this. A couple more reasons why it's far more likely we're going to in a recession in the near future than not. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422.
Concerned about bank failures? I'm Ference, host of the Your Personal Bank Show. Unlike traditional banks, Your Personal Bank cannot leverage. Leveraging is what causes the risk of bank failures. Your Personal Bank currently pays 6% dividends insured with guarantees and tax-free. For more information, tune in to the Your Personal Bank Show or contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ference Toth. Want more information? Contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ference Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. And, you know, I, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer today, but, and I'm generally, an, I'm going to say this, I'm generally an optimistic person. And I am optimistic about the longer-term future of the country and the economic, you know, situation that we're in. I'm just, I also, at the same time, I'm not going to ignore very, very valid, strong economic indicators that are just flashing red warning lights in our face. And I see so many people out there ignoring those red flashing lights and thinking, thinking, well, maybe the worst is over and we're going to have a soft landing, you know, and I'm getting a lot of that because, as I said earlier, you know, the stock market seems to be doing well. Real estate prices, although they've come down some, it's not too bad. Jobs, the jobs market is hold, seems to be holding pretty strong. All those things are true. But at the same time, we have a situation where we have very valid economic indicators that are have been rarely, if ever, wrong, one on top of another telling us, hey, we're headed for a recession, and it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. I've shared some of those in the previous couple of segments on this show, and if you did miss it, go to yourpersonalbank.com. You can listen to this or any of the previously recorded shows anytime you want. I shared with the precursors to economic recessions. I've shared where Federal Reserve has hiked interest rates 13 times previously, and 10 of those resulted in recessions or a hard landing. I've shared where the index of leading economic indicators have dropped 13th month in a row. That's the longest streak and the steepest decline since the Great Recession of 08-09. I've, I've shared the inverted yield curve. You know, many of you have heard about that. The bottom line is the inverted yield curve has been an extremely reliable indicator of recessions. And we've had one of the steepest inverted yield curves. Well, we ha- it is. It's the steepest uh, one since the Great Recession. Also, I'll give you another one. High-yield bonds or junk bonds, as they're often called or known. Those, they're very sensitive to risk, okay, because they're, they're, they pay a higher interest rate because the underlying uh, company, corporate bonds, they don't have as good of credit rating or financial stability. So they have to pay a higher interest to investors to get them to purchase their bonds because the bond is a debt instrument, right? Well, the high-yield bonds are down and have been down for a while. Those are very sensitive to risk. And, again, another indicator or flashing red light that we have economic problems and that uh, a recession is likely. Let me give you one last one, credit default swaps. That's a word you've probably not heard about for a while. In fact, prior to 0809, most people, including myself, I'll share with you, had never heard the term credit default swaps. And most people today still don't really realize or understand what they are. 
and really what a credit default swap is, is is it's an insurance contract is what it is. And it's it's a way for a bond borrower if they quit paying their interest. So if you buy a bond and that bond that bond borrower quits paying interest, it's a protection. It's a it's an insurance policy. It's an insurance protection to protect you from failing to get paid. So in essence, it creates an insured bond. You pay a fee for that or a cost for that insurance for that protection. Now, the thing about it is not that necessarily they're a bad thing inherently. It's just when the insurers insure too many, too much of it, and then those bonds do fail because you have cascading failures, then the costs and, and financial financial um, devastation just compounds. And we saw that in 0809. That's where we saw some of the big financial institutions and the too big to fail banks and such get into real financial problems uh, because they were insuring against bonds that they thought would never fail. And they did like uh, mortgage bonds, which had never failed before prior to 809, for example. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem with in terms of an indicator, another indicator showing that we're likely leading to a recession versus a soft landing, that the, the, the costs of these credit default swaps, these are these are a risk tool, a, a protection tool. The costs have increased, and in fact, they're higher than they've ever been, again, since the Great Recession. So the cost to protect yourself is more expensive than ever because the risk is higher than it's been since 0809. Another indication, another warning light, red, red flashing light saying, hey, we're likely to head into a recession or a hard landing. The last one I want to give you, and this is one I've been sharing now on this show for quite uh, for a number of months actually now, and that is the Federal Reserve, um, their total assets. You can go to their website. It's the FRED website, the Federal and uh, F-E-R-D. And it's the Federal Reserve of St. Louis, actually. And you type in, when you do a search, you look for total assets. And each week, the Federal Reserve reports how much they have on their balance sheet in terms of total assets. As we all know, if you've been paying attention, most people understand that the Federal Reserve, after you know the COVID shutdowns in 2020, they purchased a ton. And I mean, we're talking trillions of dollars of stocks, bonds, and mortgage-backed securities. They were a net buyer on the open markets. They were buying stocks. They were buying bonds. They were buying mortgage-backed securities. And then when they, that's called quantitative easing. That's called, they basically print money, folks. That's what also leads to inflation. They print more dollars than to buy assets on the open markets, which what does that do? When you have a huge buyer of assets, most people understand the price of those assets are going to go up. And that is the uh, purpose of their buying all those assets to cause the, the money. It's a way for the Fed to put money into the system, easy monetary policy, and to create liquidity is the term you hear all the time. Print dollars, purchase assets like stocks, bonds, mortgage-backed securities, and that gets into the system, right? Quantitative tightening is the opposite, which is since about March, April of 2022, the Federal Reserve has been doing quantitative tightening. In other words, reducing the number of assets that they hold on their balance sheet. In other words, they're selling stocks, and bonds, and mortgage-backed securities. And when they sell it, they get the money back for selling it, right? But what the Federal Reserve does is then they, in essence, destroy that money or pull it out of the system. So in other words, there's less dollars floating around. Fewer dollars means the, and the idea is to reduce inflation, right? That's the per, one of the purposes behind it, okay? 
Well, the Federal Reserve, for the past year roughly, has been selling roughly a trillion dollars in assets, $100 billion a month pace, roughly. And then we had a couple of months ago, we had a couple of banks fail. So they injected, in other words, they bought about $500 billion of assets again to add liquidity and all that stuff and to save the banks. And then after they effectively that happened or the FDIC shut the banks down, then the Federal Reserve uh, has started to sell those assets again, roughly the same pace if you look at the chart. Again, they're selling at about $100 billion a month. Now, the Federal Reserve owns more in assets. They owned roughly a year or so ago about $9 trillion of total assets. Folks, that's the biggest buyer, the biggest owner of assets, of stocks, bond, mortgage-backed securities in the world. They're the 800-pound gorilla. That's why it's so important. They always say don't fight the Fed. They've got several tools at their disposal. We all know the interest rates. They can raise or lower interest rates to make money cheaper or more expensive to borrow and access and use to increase or decrease economic activity. Well, their other main tool is their purchasing or selling of these assets, these stocks, bonds, mutual uh, mortgage-backed securities. And, again, they're a net seller. When the largest holder of assets in the world is selling consistently, what does that do overall to the price of assets? And, again, the primary assets we're talking about here are stocks, bonds, and mortgage-backed securities. What do you think that's going to do ultimately to the value of those assets? It's going to have a negative effect. Now, again, recently we've seen the opposite. Things can diverge. Things can diverge for a while. And and, uh, there's a common saying I like in the stock market is, stock markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Fear and greed, as Wall Street likes to share, the primary motivating factors for stock prices are human emotions that are powerful. Lately, greed has taken over. And I would say, you know, looking at it, most of 2023, we've seen a lot of greed, haven't we? We've seen a lot of emotional greed, people buying to increase the prices of these assets. Unfortunately, that can get into hysteria almost, if you will. Sometimes it does. But it gets, in, in, ir, let's put it this way, irrational decisions, irrational judgments. And you see that, and you see that repeatedly. That happens. It's human nature, folks. It's hard to fight human nature. I get it. I'm trying to share logical economic, solid macroeconomic reasons of why things shouldn't be where they are or likely to be worse before they get better, but the emotions get the better of people oftentimes. Again, what I'm trying to do is share some clear-eyed common sense, cut through the noise. That's one of my missions here of this show, and it has been from the beginning. It makes It allows you to make better rational decisions. My point is the risk at this point there's no question is elevated. The likelihood of a recession heading into a recession in the near future is extraordinarily elevated due to all these reasons I've been sharing on this show, all these indicators. The red warning light is flashing on your car. You can keep driving it, but you need to proceed with caution. You need to be paying attention. And if you want to reduce your risk, contact me. Your personal bank can accomplish many of those things in terms of reducing the market risk. I'm going to encourage you to stay tuned in the next segment, the last segment, because I want to um, share a few more things that I think you're going to find very beneficial and some, well, I want to share a financial literacy idea that I found one of the most powerful ones I've seen in a very long time. So I'm going to encourage you to not miss it. 
Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Inflation remains higher than average. I'm Ference, host of the Your Personal Bank Show. Inflation increases costs and is typically bad for stocks and real estate values. Your personal bank dividends are interest rate sensitive. This can help offset inflation. For more info, tune in to the Your Personal Bank Show or contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferenc at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferenc Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferenc, and I've been discussing a lot of economic indicators of why we're likely, far more likely to be heading into a recession or a hard landing versus a soft landing. I brought the receipts. I mean, these are undeniable, hard-to-argue-with indicators that are solid and have shown historically to be extremely accurate in most cases. So if you did miss it, go to yourpersonalbank.com, listen to this or any of the previously recorded shows. You can do that anytime you want. Or you can go to our... Um, our app, Your Personal Bank app, and uh, listen there. Uh, I want to share a financial literacy concept, one of the best I've ever seen. Before I get to that, i got I got to share a couple other quick things here that will lead up to this, and I think it will help you understand this further. We've heard a lot, if you've been paying attention, about you know the war on gas, the Biden administration wanting to regulate or, or restrict gas stoves and that way, it, you know, they said that first they were going to restrict them in new purchase, uh, buildings. Then they backed off from it. Well, now they've come back. And not only have they come back, they've come back with a vengeance. Not only has the Department of Energy now unveiled standards for gas stoves, but also now for ovens, washers and dryers, refrigerators, air conditioners, and dishwashers, claiming to make them more, more efficient. Now, the, the problem is... These rules are almost always bad for consumers for the simple reason it restricts consumer choice. Based on many of these regulations that are proposed to be finalized within the next 12 months, it'll impact roughly half of the appliances, pretty much anything that runs in your home, things like furnaces, pool pumps, battery chargers, ceiling fans, dehumidifiers. They're going after everything, folks. What it will do, it will, it will increase the cost of all of these appliances that we are used to having available. You know, contact your congress congressperson. Tell them that uh, they, need to, uh, they need to back off on this stuff because, frankly, well, it's, what it's going to do is this is going to end up costing more money. We already are dealing with higher, we're already dealing with generationally high inflation on most everything else, but to make matters even worse, while they're attacking these appliances that use energy, okay, they're also, EPA is unveiling new crackdown on power plants that will actually increase the cost, artificially increase the cost of electricity across the board. It will cause many of these, how should we say, many of these power plants that are currently running 
to either reduce or or have to shut down is what it'll really boil down to. Again, increasing our energy costs even further. It was wasn't it was bad enough they shut down pipelines and and are restricting oil leases and all that, but now they're going after existing power plants. Folks, our energy costs are going to go through the roof if these things are allowed to happen. And in fact, of course, that will all affect us economically. Now, let me give you one last thing, and then I'm going to get into this financial literacy concept that's, again, the best I've seen on a long time. Many folks, if you've been paying attention, you know that Chicago has elected a new mayor. This, this particular mayor actually is even more progressive, liberal, whatever you want to call them. I call them regressives. But anyway, more liberal than the previous mayor, which was extremely liberal already. And they've they've uh, proposed their first budget. It, it's interesting where they want to raise twelve billion dollars for the budget. And the first page, step one is first we get the money. In other words, they they're not holding back. They they want to call it. Let's we get the money. And what they want to do, what this budget is proposing. This is why this is so important. And I'll get into the details. If people keep electing these far left. Marxists is what they are, okay? They really are. These leftists, Marxists, whatever you want to call them. This is this is the type of stuff we're going to get more and more. You're not going to see people that are business-friendly, economic-friendly by any stretch of the imagination. This particular budget plan, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, calls for $12 billion in new taxes just for the city of Chicago. Okay, this isn't a state. This is a city. It's going to reduce the Chicago Police Department by 9%. It's going to eliminate all current police department vacancies. Apparently, they're short about 900 patrol officers and 100 detec- detectives. So they're just going to eliminate those jobs, those vacancies, and reduce another further 9%. By the way, Chicago's had some of the highest crime and murder rates in the past year or two in the country, or increases, we'll put it that way. Here's some other things this budget's going to do. Corporation or any business with over 50 employees will have a head tax of $33 per employee. Also, anyone making over $100,000 will re- will face an additional 3.5% income tax. That's on top of the state and federal income taxes that these pay- people are already paying. So they're going to get charged another 3.5% on top of that by the city. And then the city's top 10% earners on top of that get another 0.4% wealth, wealth tax. So there's tax layer on top of tax layer, okay, on in this plan. Again, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be, this is the interesting part. It'll be an interesting experiment to see if they do, in fact, enact this tax, this budget plan, to watch and see what happens to the city. My prediction, you're going to see economic activity drop, reduce, maybe even grind to a standstill in this city. And they're going to collect not nowhere close to what $12 billion that they think they're going to get because people are just going to stop earning as much or just flat out leave. In fact, if you were any kind of corporation or had a headquarters in Chicago, if this passes, my opinion is those those folks or those companies are just going to flat out just leave. I mean, there's nothing to, you know, they can't they can't keep them in Chicago, right? It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. And we're going to watch this. And <laughs> why I was sharing that, it leads me to this economic or this financial literacy concept. And the, I'm going to tie the two together. And I saw this actually on Twitter of all places. It was one of the best things I've seen in a long time. And the statement was this. A surprising number of people retain 
from childhood, the idea that there's a fixed amount of wealth in the world, a fixed amount of money at any moment. But, but that's just not true. Wealth in this context is often uh, described as a pie. You'll hear people say or politicians say the pie can't get any lo- larger. And this, this whole budget idea from, for Chicago follows this line of thinking. The pie is only so big. So if you, one person or a group of people take a larger piece, that means there's less, there's less for other people. If you take more, someone else has to get less. The, here's the problem. There's a fallacy in this idea that there's X amount of total wealth or their pie is a certain size. You have to divvy it up in, in certain sizes. And if you take too much, somebody else gets less. And let me give you an example. And I saw this example in this here because I thought it was so, so appropriate. The idea is people think money is wealth, and it's not. It's Money is just a tool, folks. You know, a fixed amount of money might be what you can use to trade with and stuff like that, but there's not a fixed amount of wealth in the world. In other words, you can make more wealth. And let me, this is a great example they use in this, in this, uh, in this uh, article. You say, let's say you bought an old car, beat up old car. Instead of, you know, as they pointed out, sitting on your butt next summer, you spent the time restoring that car to pristine condition. In other words, you took a beat-up old car and made it a classic and pristine. Well, obviously, the value of that car would, have got, would go up. And if you sold that car, you would get more money for it. In other words, by restoring the old car, you made yourself richer, more wealthy. By the way, you didn't make anyone else poor in that process, did you? So obviously, if you understand that basic concept, you will understand that Wealth, money, is not a fixed pie. The pie can grow larger, or you can make more pies. And when you look at it this way, and I like this last statement on this, it says, in fact, when you look at it this way, you wonder why anyone would think otherwise. And it's so true. If you want to gain more wealth, you can do more. You can work harder. You can work smarter to accomplish more, to earn more, to increase the value of something, like like this example of restoring an old car. There's many, you can, you can remodel a house, make it more valuable, okay? There's all types of things a person can do with their time, their talent, their skills to increase their wealth. And by doing that, you're not taking anything away from anyone else. You're increasing the overall wealth in the world. Elon Musk talk, discusses this a lot. I hear him discuss this type of concept many times. Wealth can be created by somebody's time, talent, efforts, and not interfere or reduce or anyone else in any way. I would like more people to understand this. Share this idea. If you run into somebody where they get the idea that wealth is a pie and is only a certain size, and only and if, if you hear somebody talk about like this, you know, Chicago budget proposal where it says, first, we get the money. We're taking from the rich to give to the poor because there's only so much wealth in the world. No, the best way to go about it is enable, educate, enable, uh, give people opportunities to create more wealth themselves from their time and their talent, their abilities, and their desires. And look, if they're not willing, if they're not willing to do anything to help themselves, well, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, can you? And, there, you know, even the Bible said, even Jesus said, there will be, there will be poor will always be among us because... If a man's not willing to work, he has no he has no um, no right to eat, does he? In other words, the willingness to do something is the key 
and understanding if you do something, you can do better, you can do more, you can create more wealth, and most importantly, you're not taking it away from someone else if it's done the right way. Stay tuned to Your Personal Bank Show. Next week, I'm going to share a lot more great information, and actually I have another segment for many of the stations listening to, so stay tuned. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferenc at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferenc Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferenc, and if you're hearing this, you're listening in one of the fortunate stations that allows me a little bit extra time. In the last segment, I was sharing the idea of wealth is not a pie or not a fixed pie. You can grow wealth without, you can, without taking from someone else. And that's a concept, a financial literacy concept, that needs to be educated and shared with other people. And again, use the example of if you restore a beat-up old car to pristine condition, it's obviously worth more. And you can sell it for more. You created wealth. And at the same time, you did not take anything away from anyone else. So obviously, the wealth pie can grow, okay? And and when you understand that, you really wonder why anyone would think otherwise, don't you? It's a very basic concept. It's also something I share with clients, prospects, the type of thing if you contact or when I speak at workshops, which I've done for years. Look, if uh, uh, if you've got an organization that, wants uh, to learn about more financial literacy or how to, the personal bank concept, how to gain control of your money, reduce taxes, create positive arbitrage, all those things, contact me at yourpersonalbank.com. Be happy to share. My point is simple is there are things that a person can do, even in these t- tougher economic times, even with higher inflation. Uh, in fact, I know it may not be popular, but the reality is when inflation goes up, the value of our dollar buying power goes down. And so you really have two choices. You have either make more to maintain your lifestyle or get by with less, reduce your expenses, or a combination of both. I said this to my wife on the very day. I literally said this to her on the very day that Biden shut down the Keystone Pipeline. And by the way, he didn't just shut that one down. He shut down 10 others the same day. I said to her, I need to go to work more to make some more money because I recognize right then and there that higher energy costs were going to create inflation. And I understood the money that I made would be worth less because the cost of everything would go up. I knew that. I understood it that day. And most people I talk to and run into and discuss do, don't or didn't or are or, or slowly finally coming to that realization. And it's because I've been fortunate. I, was, I wasn't taught this stuff growing up either. Most of us were not, financial literacy. But it, it's become, it was, became a mission, and it became a, um, a purpose, a passion of mine uh, 23, 24 years ago now, where I wanted to, I ran into this, and I wanted to learn, and I wanted to understand. And, and as I built and developed and grew in my understanding, then I was able to build and develop and grow my business and also help my clients more and more as, I, as my understanding increased, okay? And then eventually I was, for a while, taught a financial literacy course, college-certified financial literacy course, and eventually became chairman of the board of a bank in formation, uh, an FDIC-insured bank for a while, uh, 
thankfully, I stepped away from that about a year ago because uh, given what's happened to the regional banks lately, <laughs> that was a good decision. My point is, by learning these things and by sharing this, I've there's so many things people can do when I talk to them. I, I met with uh, several clients just this week where I shared with them ideas and thoughts and things that they could do to enhance their financial situation, not change their lifestyle in many cases at all. Some of them had to make some changes, maybe some minor, some of them even major changes. But it allows you to gain financial freedom, economic freedom. Uh, A mentor of mine years ago would often say, those that are willing to do what others are not today will be able to do what others are unable to do tomorrow. And that's so true. It really is. It might mean buckling down a little more. It might mean working a little harder or smarter to make some more dollars because the dollars aren't as valuable as they were. It takes more to buy eggs today than it did two years ago. It might mean reducing some expenses, shaving things off here and there when, when needed. My point is getting through these economic tough times are not just about putting money away and hoping it all works out and investing in an asset. There's more to it than that. And if you want to learn some of these things, by all means, contact me. And I'd love to talk to you. And if you contact me, yes, you'll get me. So I encourage you to reach out to me. Love to work with you. Love to help you. And love to help you navigate these economic uncertainties that we're going through. And as always, stay tuned next week to the Your Personal Bank Show. And while it's still on our money, I'm going to say, in God, we trust. Economic freedom is freedom, and our freedoms are under attack. I'm Ferentz, host of the Your Personal Bank Show. In this time of uncertainty, can you grow your money safely, reduce taxes, and ensure you don't run out of money in retirement? Your Personal Bank earns dividends with guarantees, insured, and tax-free. For more info, tune in to the Your Personal Bank Show or contact Ferentz at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. This show is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information. The presenter and guests of this program do not engage in legal, accounting, or tax advice. Professional advice regarding your situation should be sought if required. Some products discussed may have limitations and not be available in all states. Excessive unpaid loans may affect performance. Distributions may become taxable if not managed properly. Replacements may not be suitable for everyone. There may be charges when replacing coverage. Dividend rates and bank line of credit rates may change. For current rates, contact Ferentz at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Again, that's 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.